I turn it off when I'm singing so it doesn't destroy the DVD system back there. Uh, but the Lord has given us his word. He does love us, and he's provided it so that we get to know him better. But not just for knowledge's sake. He's trying to change our hearts, that there would be in us a new heart that's dedicated completely to Jesus. And he's working in this day by day to make that more true. Uh, today we're going to go into um, Revelation chapter 17. And I'm just going to tell you uh, straight up front that this week and next week, you're probably going to hate me. Okay? These are a couple passages that are going to be really grueling for people in the church. It's going to feel like there's kind of a dagger going in and just being twisted. Uh, that's because the Lord is wanting to be sure, to be sure, to be sure about where you stand with him, where we stand with him. And so there are going to be a couple hard weeks here uh, where you really go before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you see in me? And we put ourselves before the Lord as a church say, what do you see in us? And it may be difficult, but I believe at the end it'll be, it'll be good because he's given us that we might be blessed in knowing the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that we might be with him for eternity. So let's pray, and then we're going to go to Revelation chapter 17. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. It's hard to actually comprehend and understand uh, how you could love us enough to send your son to die and to raise to life and then call us into relationship with you when we don't deserve that. And yet that's the basis of your grace. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not run from that grace into any other thing in this world that would be a false gospel. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would do a work in us, that you would have me to speak the true gospel. Lord, that we might continue to increase in true faith. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to start reading in Revelation 17, but just before I do, I, I kind of want to give you um, a couple keys. Now, what I mean by that is when you go and look at a map, say you're going to, you know, how long has it been since you actually got a real map out? But remember when you would open up a paper map and you would see on there, there would be a little area called the key, and it would tell you what certain lines meant, what certain dots meant, what that meant about cities, which way it was north. There was a key there that kind of gave you instructions about what things meant. And so I just want to give you a couple keys of what things mean in this passage before we read, or else things might get really confusing. We're going to focus on one certain uh, person that's in this chapter. There's a lot of reading and investigating you can go do about the other things in this chapter, but here, here is the key. The first one is called the beast. When we're talking about the beast, again, this is the system of Satan. Satan is behind it, and the face of that system is the Antichrist. So in here, when you see the beast in this chapter, it's talking about that system of Satan that has that Antichrist who's leading that charge. That is the beast. Then there are going to be horns. Horns represent kings. So in Scripture, a lot of times, a horn is something of authority, and they represent kings. And in this passage, too, when we see horns, it's talking about kings. Uh, also, it'll talk about mountains. When you see mountains in the key, that means it's talking about kingdoms. So horns are kings, mountains are kingdoms. It's representing kingdoms. And finally, it's also going to talk about heads. When you see heads, it's just like horns. It also means kings. So it's actually going to tell us in there, but I just wanted you to know before we went reading through the passage that that's our key today, that the beast is the system of Satan with Antichrist as the face, that horns and heads are kings, and that mountains mean kingdoms. And that may help you just as we're reading that to go like, what in the world is being talked about here? And then we're going to focus in a little bit more on one of the individual who's in this passage. But starting in verse 1, it says this. One of the seven angels 
who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So, so far we haven't met any horns or anything like that, but we're introduced to this great prostitute. John, who's been going through this vision, is told by an angel, I'm about to show you this great prostitute. Now, in the midst of that, uh, there have been many kings who have committed sexual immorality. They've gotten into a relationship with her. And also it says there that many dwellers on the earth have also gotten into relationship with this great prostitute, that they're tied up and bound together in a relationship with this one who you could just use the word prostitute, and if you don't know what that means, it just means one who is unfaithful. We're generally going to use it for that, one who is unfaithful, okay? And when it's talking in Scripture often about sexual immorality, it's not just talking about the physical act, but also a very spiritual act. It's a representation of your heart has been unfaithful to the one in whom it was supposed to be faithful. Okay, so there's this great prostitute, and the kings of the earth, as well as the dwellers of the earth, have committed uh, an unfaithfulness with this one who is unfaithful. It's just a big unfaithful mess is what you see here. So, And, he, and this angel saying, let, let me come and show you this. And so it says in verse 3, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Remember the beast? Sitting on the scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. So again, you see this beast, this system of Satan that's got... Um, all kinds of heads and horns. Again, those were different kings being represented. We'll get into those in a little bit more. But this woman is sitting on top of that system. It's riding it. It's, it's being, um, it's being uh, a part of its power, kind of uh, sitting on top of it. And it goes on and says in verse 4, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality, and her, uh, on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the, uh, the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So as this great prostitute is riding on that beast that has the seven heads and the, the horns, uh, here she comes out, and it, it says there that she's so beautiful. That's how it describes her is that she has this great array of, of scarlet and purple clothing on, and she has all kinds of jewelry on, and she just looks beautiful. But she has names that are written on her that says that in the midst of her beauty, she's actually one who is an abomination. She's a prostitute, and she has caused um, the great uh, murder of a many of those who would be faithful to Jesus Christ. And so that's what it says about her. We're going to get into her a little bit more later. But then it says uh, in the middle of that verse 6, When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads 
are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over the royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Okay, y'all got that? <laughs> so there's a lot going on there, and there's a lot to decipher and try to, and, and nobody can make sense of that without Jesus and him giving his word. And I'm just going to let you know, we're not going to go into all those things, but if you want to dig more, go dig more. Study on that. Look more in other parts of Revelation. Go to Daniel chapter 7 and other parts of Daniel where it's talking some of the, about those kingdoms, and specifically what's going to happen at the end with this. And I'll just give you kind of a quick glance at it. Scripture goes on to talk about how um, Satan has forever had this power. And for a time now, he's being restrained. But at the end, when that final one comes, because it talks about him, the one who was and now is not, but is, is again, that's talking about Satan. And right now he's being restrained. But then at the end, Scripture says that he will be unleashed and allowed to go out and to wrangle up all the other kings of the earth. And it describes that there will be alliances. There will be these ten kings that come together, that Satan will somehow get an alliance of these ten. In Daniel, it says that the Antichrist will do away with three of those, and so at some time we'll just have seven left. So it's talking about how Satan will come back and gather together to himself all those who are against Jesus. We've been talking about this week after week, and it's just giving some more specifics to that, that we should be watching in the days to come. We've talked, uh, you know, about the, the alliance of ten. Some people have thought for a long time that this will somehow be an alliance of ten nations throughout Europe. Some people have thought that somehow this is a consolidation of the Catholic Church. Some people think that this is an alliance between Muslim nations that are coming together. i got to tell you, at this point, I don't know what those ten nations are. I don't know how it's going. Uh, some of the other kings that are mentioned are talking about progressions of kingdoms that are building to this. But make no mistake about this. While at this time we might not know which particular nations or kingdoms those are, and maybe when we look back in history we're not quite sure exactly which kingdoms are coming out towards this period of time, we can know this, that all of them together are being empowered by their greed and their own deception to be in cahoots and join up with Satan. That at that time, once God does reveal that and say, here is the collection of the nations, that they are against me, that Satan has so deceived them and used now his Antichrist to employ them into his beast, that they will go and they will all be together in war against Jesus Christ. And so I'm just going to kind of let that be out there, and you can go and research and dig more, and don't go Google it. You're going to get all kinds of crazy stuff if you go look on the Internet. Just 
open your Bible and ask the Lord, show me. And he may show you, or may say, it's, it's not time now. I don't know at all. And that's why a lot of these sermons I say, I just don't know yet. So I don't know yet on a lot of that stuff. But you're welcome to go read it. Well, what the Lord, I believe, has us to focus on this morning is the other individual that we left out of the key. And who was that? The great prostitute. The great prostitute. And the reason we're going to focus on the great prostitute today is because the great prostitute is, is one who is described in this passage as having an overwhelming power over not just one place in time and over one particular location, but it is said that it is spread out over all the nations and multitudes on the people of the earth, that somehow this great prostitute has her fingers and her ways into people all over the globe, that somehow she is in an unfaithful relationship with the kings of the earth, that she has gotten people all over the earth to somehow be in relationship with her. And the reason why this is something that we need to focus on today is because the great prostitute is what we will call today the apostate church. Or a better word for it would be the fake church. That is what the great prostitute is. The great prostitute is one that goes and says, Oh, yeah, I'm with God. See, I've even said the name Jesus. I know what the Bible tells me to do. I could quote the Ten Commandments by heart, and I can do most of them. But at the end of the day, the great prostitute, the fake church, actually doesn't know Jesus. And that's why it's so hard for us to come and examine this today. When I say these are going to be a couple hard sermons, it's because we have to lay this against ourselves and say, Lord, am I a part of the fake church? Now, none of us would go in front of a mirror and say, yeah, I'm a prostitute. But you know what? The Lord will stand in front of you and say it. The Lord will look at you in the eye because he loves you and say, you are living a lie. You are living unfaithful, and you in your heart are far from me. You've got all the actions to maybe go with it, but in actuality, you don't look any different within the world because you're in love with the world, and you've enticed the world into this thing and, and made it okay. And so it's gripping because for all of us, we have to say, am I, am I fake? Am I actually living a lie? And then there's the question, well, what is the evidence that I may actually be part of the fake church and a part of the great prostitute and not actually part of the redeemed people of God? What is the difference there? What is the difference there? The difference, as with everything that we've always seen in Scripture and that we always talk about here at church, the difference is where do you land with Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? We know Jesus to be God. We know that he left heaven, took on flesh, and died on that cross as the eternal sacrifice to cover the sins of people who would be saved. But Jesus, in today's day and age and throughout history, has been made to look completely different than who he actually is. And so when we talk about it begins and ends with Jesus, the question is, well, what has Jesus done for you? Or what do you believe Jesus is for you? Because I'll tell you what the majority of those who are meeting in churches this morning and maybe I don't know about this church or sometimes even where my heart lands. I hope that the Lord's bringing me into correction if I'm not in the right place. But what it is is that we see Jesus as basically the great genie. 
What I mean by that, you might say, well, I don't believe in magic or anything like that. But what I believe Jesus is, is he's always looking out to give me the good. There's this great thing that's going on in the church today that's preaching a false gospel. And the name of this gospel is the prosperity gospel. Have you heard of it? The prosperity gospel teaches this, that you are in relationship with God, and you, by the way you live and do your things and the, the way in which you pray and maybe use certain words a different way or, or the way in which you are perpetuating your life, that you're somehow leveraging God's power to give you everything that you want and desire. And so right now there's a lot of teaching and preaching that is saying you join up and say these things and be in relationship with God so that you can get richer. You do these things and say these things so that you can get healthier. You join up with him and do this little charade that you're doing so that you can have more whatever it is that you put on the table. Because at the end of the day, what we're saying in those things is, Jesus, I deserve these things. Jesus, your kingdom is about me getting rich. Your kingdom is about me in this life being so healthy. The fact is we're all going to die because of sin. And anything good that we have in life isn't because we deserve it. It's because it's been given to us. And yet in our spirituality, along with the prosperity gospel, usually goes like bratty children to him, saying, I've said the words, now give it to me. I deserve rich. I deserve this. I deserve that. The thing about God is we don't deserve anything but hell. And by his grace, he has given to us salvation. By his goodness, he does get the opportunity to buy food or clothes. But these are not things that we demand. And these are not even things that we deserve. We've been given blessings. But then what happens when we're given blessings? This is what the prosperity church or the prostitute church does. When we get blessings like clothes and food and buildings and riches and storehouses, we say, they're ours. Look what God has done for me to me for us to be rich. And if it was the true church, we'd say, look what God has given to us so that it could be used for his name. That's the true test. It comes back to Jesus. And uh, I was looking for a car recently, and I believe I've shared this illustration before, but uh, back in the day I had a, a Volkswagen Passat. And so recently when I was looking for a car here in North Carolina, I was, I was looking at used cars. I'd gone over to Deacon Jones and, and uh, was being helped by the fine folks who helped us down there. And, and uh, I found this Passat. It was beautiful, and it was right, right in my budget point. And so I was like, oh, man, dreamy car, you know. So I, I'm driving this thing. The kids are loving it. It's, I mean, yeah. And uh, I take this car to some folks who know cars, to uh, the Wood Brothers. I say, hey, would you give this car a look over? It's Oh, man, I, I just can't wait to get this car to drive. And uh, 
they, they did their thorough search, and they, what they found was right in the, 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 the main part of the engine, there was a leak. That, that there was, a, there was an, an awful thing that was right there in the engine that was at the heart of the engine that while the rest of it might be beautiful, the heart of it was corrupt. And so it might have all the, the wax on the outside and lights out here that work, but the engine that needs to make it go was going to be faulty. There was something wrong with the engine. And so I had to give up that car. And I went and got a Chevy Cruze. Now, at the first, I was like, that's pretty. You know what? The engine is not corrupt. That engine is good. It gets me where I And see, this is, this is what is also occurring with us. The question is not whether we have wax on the outside or lights over here that work, but what is happening in the heart of you? Do you have a good heart, or is it corrupt? Are you part of this, in your heart, part of the great prostitute? Or are you in your heart one who has been saved by Jesus and now you say, he's my Lord and God and whatever he says goes. And it's this, this mentality that we have of having to have it. And we get away with it by calling it, well, I'm blessed. See, I was so in love with Passat's because I had a great one. But even that has a story to it that is really humiliating to me because I recognize in it that I made a lunge for worldliness in my heart. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with driving Passats or cars or you know, whatever the Lord has you to drive. And I don't want to make a statement for which brand you should buy or you know, Deacon Jones got me a great car, the Woods Brother. I, I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about heart issues here. But what happened was I had the opportunity to, to, to grab this Passat. You know, it was great. This one had a great engine, probably the, one of the best cars I ever had. I just love that car. But I remember this conversation. I was driving a man from our church to dialysis. He needed a ride. And so this guy got in the car, and, and we're driving. He's like, this is a great new car you have. I said, oh, yeah, it just drives so smooth. It's just, it's a joy to drive. And, you know, I just feel, you know. And, and um, he said this. He said, um, and I, I was just kind of testing it at the time. And he says, well, you know, everybody deserves a little slice of heaven. And you know what I did? I said, you're right, I kind of do deserve this. Lord, you, you know I deserve this. I need, I need these wheels. Oh, look, you've, you've blessed me. You see how quickly that goes from a place of need and, man, Lord, You've gifted me with something I need to maybe go bless, to give this guy a ride. And instead, in that moment, I was saying, look what I deserve. I recognize now that in my heart, I was saying something that was false. The good thing about the Lord is, with the true church, if there is something false in our heart, but we actually have our eyes on Jesus, he's going to bring us around back to Jesus. That, those little blemishes on the outside, they're nothing to him. He's taking care of those. He's working on you on those outside. But in that heart, that heart has to be changed first. Otherwise, if our heart's not changed first and we're just doing all the religious actions, all we're a part of is the great prostitute. We're just a really, really unfaithful people who all we're doing is saying, 
I deserve, I deserve, give me more, I want this. And the problem with that is, right now, you cannot tell any difference between the church, what I call the fake church, and the world. You really can't. The difference needs to be Jesus. And he's going to cause us to say, you know what, as a result of of that, Lord, whatever you want goes. Whatever I have is not really mine. It is, it is up to you to use this however you want. It's not to us to go into every situation and say, Lord, if you get me out of this bind, I'll be faithful. But if you don't, ah, well, I'm going to go find something else. This morning in Sunday school, uh, we studied about in Daniel chapter 3 where King Nebuchadnezzar had put up this huge idol. And all the leaders were invited to come. And when the music played, everybody was supposed to bow down to this idol. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three God-fearing men who had been taken out of their land and were now put into the leadership through their training into Nebuchadnezzar's leadership. And they were brought to this thing. And, and when the music played, guess what they didn't do? They didn't bow down. And so they're brought to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, look, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you one more chance to come into this. When you hear the music play, you bow down and we'll just, it'll be fine. If you don't, I'll, I'll kill you. They said, you could try it again, king, but there is no way. There is no way that we're bowing down to that image. Because he is, we worship God Almighty. And you know what? God can rescue us from that fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down. Now, I found that convicting this morning because to me, a lot of times it's like, well, if the Lord blesses me, then I'll follow him. If he blesses me, then I'll follow him. If he blesses me, then I follow him. That's, that's the wrong way. The right way is, he's God and I'll follow him no matter what. That's what the true church says. The true church that has the true heart, the, the, uh, the heart that is not got a leak in it, <laughs> you know? We say, whatever comes, I'm going to follow him. He is so worth it. He is everything. If he wants to rescue me, great. If he wants to heal me, fine. If he wants to bring me a better paying job, then okay. Then, Lord, all these circumstances, how will you then use them for your kingdom and for you? It's for your benefit and for your name, and we will worship you alone no matter whether we die or whether we're saved. It is all about Jesus. And guess who doesn't say that? The fake church. Because in the fake church, it says, Jesus, 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 and he's all about us. God's whole purpose was to make us rich. God's whole purpose was to give us better houses. God's purpose was to give us a freer land. God's purpose, and it's all, all, all about us in the fake church. But the good news says it's not about you at all. It's all about him. It's all about him. The dangerous thing about the fake church is, one, it's in this love-hate relationship with the world. And in its beauty, it was arrayed. It's really easy to get sucked into it and to say, man, that looks pretty good. Look how beautiful that churchy thing looks over there. Let me go take a look at that. Did you notice 
who was caught in that trap? The Apostle John. John had walked with Jesus for three years. He was basically his best friend on earth. And when John is showed this picture of this, this marvelous prostitute, what did it say? It said, he marveled at her. Wow. That's, oh, wow. And the angel says, what are you marveling at? That's not Jesus. He's showing you the picture of her not to marvel at her and not to fall in love with her and to be given into her sexual immorality and to be unfaithful with her. He is calling you away from her so that you might be faithful to him. Don't marvel at that. It looks just like the world. Don't get sucked in to the fake. Be so committed to the one who's true. You don't marvel at the things of the world, and that's creeping into the church. And it traps us in silly ways. Where I've heard before, if somebody says, well, did you see how amazing the VBS was over at that other church? We have to do just as good. No. The Lord has us do what we do. Why? Because Jesus is the point. We pray Jesus is the point over there, and it's not about a competition with anywhere. This isn't about us. It's not how big and grand we can make this place, and it's not how amazing we can get feedback about us or how many people like our church on Facebook. It doesn't have anything to do with Unity Church. It has everything to do with the pastor of Unity Church, and by that I mean Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. I told Alan Roberts when I was coming, you put my name on that sign, I'm not coming. It is not about me. This is Jesus' church. And if this is Jesus' church, then it's his VBS. And if this is Jesus' church, then those who are here need to be about Jesus or in search of him. Next week's going to be tough, Q. I'm going to leave a lot more for next week. I'm sure you're like, I'm going to find a vacation at the beach next week. Um, It's good. It is good because when the Lord is coming and, and, and asking your heart questions like, are you fake? Are you actually with me? You know why he does that? Not because he's just trying to make you feel bad. He actually loves you. He loves you so much to say, you know what? Don't go wander off into prostitution. Don't go wander off looking at glitzy and glamour. Because in this book, especially in Revelation, we say that all these things pass away. But the one who remains is Jesus and his kingdom. So you know what? If we get caught up in the worldly things, money, power, all that stuff, it'll end and so will you. But if your eyes are on Jesus and you say, Lord, I don't deserve it, but would please forgive me? He takes out that engine in your, in, in, your, in your chest, takes that out, and he puts in a new one. And then as you are going for Jesus, he's continuing to make you look more and more like him. He'll take care of that scratch on the outside. He's taking care of that limp. He's taking care of your needs. He will. 
But the goal of Jesus isn't for us to climb the ladder of economics, but to use the economics of the kingdom of Jesus to lift up the king of the kingdom. Are we a prostitute? God, I hope not. This morning in your heart, if you recognize, Lord, I don't, where am I at? He's the only one who can tell you that. The pastor can't tell you. Other people can't tell you. It's between you and the Lord. And if he comes and says, you know what? You've loved me just to get all these other things. He might be exposing you to be fake. And be drawn to him and say, Lord, give me a new heart. And if you are a part of the true church of Jesus Christ, then he may be showing you things in your life where you've been saying things like, well, I deserve. Or Lord, if I just, maybe I didn't say the prayer right because I just want to be, I got to be healed. Now, healing's good and the Lord loves to heal. I don't want to. But again, is it all about you? As we sing this uh, last song and as they come and, and lead us in that, let the Lord kind of do that work in you. Only he can come and tell you whether you're part of the great prostitute or whether you're part of the great bride of Christ. Where are you at? As we sing, you're welcome to come down and pray and just put your heart before the Lord. I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like somebody to pray, pray with you. But come and put down your heart and just say, Lord, make sure I'm true to you. Make sure I'm part of your bride. I don't want to be fake.